Hello. <clears throat> Welcome back to Learn It From a Layman. I'm Carl Christensen, and I am solo podcasting again. Uh, I think I haven't done this in a while. Maybe the basics of astronomy was the last one. But I uh, hope it goes well today. We, uh, I will be discussing uh, the basics of William Shakespeare. So before you think this is going to be your traditional uh, English class, I'm hoping a little bit <clears throat> more relevant to the layman here. We're going to be discussing a little bit of the history, but mostly the ways in which um, the, the plays of William Shakespeare and William Shakespeare himself was influential uh, both in his time and, and in English culture, American culture, um, now. So, so we'll go through uh, some of the ways in which uh, Shakespearean plays are influential and uh, relevant and, and important for the layman to be familiar with. So let's start. Um, well, I guess before I, I dig in here, this is a bit of a tribute also to my father, who passed away since the last... Uh, podcast that I uh, that we did. Um, now we did a podcast with my dad um, about maybe a year and a half, maybe two years ago, on college college English and writing. So um, the opportunity to go back and listen to what he said. He was an English literature professor, and so as you can imagine, was a big proponent of Shakespeare. Um, he taught. American literature and, and English, so English literature, um, yeah, including Shakespeare. Um, to, to clarify, I don't believe that William Shakespeare was an American author. He was an English author, but uh, he, uh, my dad had the opportunity to teach English literature a number of times, but uh, near the end of his career uh, focused more on um, non-Western literature, Chinese poetry, that type of thing. So but he did have us as children, so me and my brothers, who were their normal co-hosts on this podcast, um, he had us uh, reading Shakespeare. I, I have early memories, say, a seven, as a seven-year-old, of, of sitting down and reading Shakespeare. So it was an important part of my life growing up, and so I thought, in tribute to my dad, I'd uh, talk a little bit about Shakespeare today. So let's uh, talk about who Shakespeare was and a little bit about his... Um, biographical information. So, uh, known as the Bard of Avon, Shakespeare was born in April 1564 and raised in Stratford-upon-Avon, which is in Warwickshire. Um, For those not particularly familiar with uh, the uh, layout uh, of uh, England, um, Warwickshire is northwest of London, so kind of central to um, uh, to the island of of England. Um, so that's where uh, Shakespeare was from. It's unclear where Shakespeare was educated. Probably just there locally at Stratford upon Avon. We don't have there's not attendance records or those types of things. So, um, but we do know at the age of 18, he married Anne Hathaway and they had three children. Um, Shakespeare produced most of his uh, works between 1589 and 1613. Now, there are, we're going to talk a little bit later about um, the, the or, uh, not really the order of plays, just kind of some of his more influential plays and when they were uh, 
created uh, when they were when he uh, wrote them, but um, it, there is some discrepancy among Shakespearean scholars even as to when which play was written and in what order and those types of things. So um, there is some consensus that uh, the majority of his works or all of his works were created between 1589 and 1613 though. So um, he wrote a, a total of 38 plays, um, tragedies, comedies, histories, and uh, 154 sonnets. So sonnets for the layman, uh, type of poetry, uh, uh, popular back then, um, and still popular now. Uh, but and then he also wrote two narrative poems, which did enjoy success, even um, back in his day, and then some other verses as well. So um, pr pretty prolific as far as uh, uh, the uh, playwright is concerned back then. Um, however, so there are. Um, instances of, of Shakespeare, um, Shakespeare's plays being published and uh, and acted out during his life. He even actually something I learned in doing research for this podcast was that he himself was an actor and even played in some of his own plays, uh, acted in some of his own plays. So, um, uh, but the the first compilation of all of his works was in the year. Uh, 1623, known as the First Folio. It was compiled by two friends and fellow actors of his, um, Henry Condell and John Hemmings. And uh, it was a, po so a posthumous collection. So after he died, uh, collected uh, and included all but two of his plays. So not entirely sure in my research why uh, it only included 36. Maybe the authorship of the other two were not attributed. Anyway, the uh, he wrote 38 plays, but 36 are in the first folio. The two that are left out were the two noble kinsmen and Pericles and the Prince of Tyre. Um, the preface of the first folio uh, was a uh, poem So uh, by... Ben Johnson, who was a notable playwright back in the, those days, <clears throat> hailed Shakespeare with the now famous quote, not of an age, but for all time. Very prescient. Um, <clears throat> as obviously, it uh, that has borne out to be correct. So not just for um, an age, but now 400 years, more than 400 years down the road still um, noted as probably the, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, author in English literature. So, his works comprise more than one million, <clears throat> sorry, one million words. Uh, that, uh, like I said, a pretty pretty prolific. Um, he though didn't just uh, write, like I said, the, just the plays and the sonnets. He was also um, formative in the uh, in standardization or, or creation of English words and grammar. So uh, I, he, you know, was, uh, um, these come from the, his word, his new words, his phrases, the way he used grammar were, were all um, very uh, new. And so Samuel Johnson uh, created a dictionary. So Maybe you're familiar with the author of his dictionary in the English language, the first serious dictionary, uh, you quoted uh, Shakespeare more than any other author. 
and uh, expressions like with bated breath and a foregone conclusion um, are from William Shakespeare. So we're going to talk about a few other of the quotes that came from him as well. So well, Shakespeare was obviously uh, known as a playwright and author. You could argue that he was also a lexicographer or someone that essentially wrote words. Uh, it says about um, 1,700 words introduced by Shakespeare are still used in English today. 1,700. I mean, that is a very large number. Uh, bedroom, I, uh, there are a lot of words that, uh, that Shakespeare came up with that we still use frequently. <clears throat> and uh, there are words um, that you are familiar with and uh, that you would be surprised didn't predate Shakespeare. At least I was surprised. Um, there's critic, um, lackluster, lonely, unaware, <clears throat> just adding uh, the un uh, prefix to words, so unreal, uncomfortable. So these are words that, you know, you'd have imagined were in the language beforehand, but uh, hadn't been used, or at least hadn't been really written down beforehand, and then just words that became so lackluster, um, using elbow as a verb, to elbow someone, dwindle, all of those words coined by Shakespeare. So... Um, like I said, very influential beyond just the plays. It's actually, the, the way he used the language was uh, was very um, formative. <clears throat> Let's see. Um, so, Shakespeare, as you can imagine, remains the world's best-selling playwright. Uh, sales of his plays and poetry are believed to have achieved in excess of 4 billion copies uh, in, the, in the last 400 years. So, that's, uh, I don't know what it requires to be on the New York bestsellers list. I'd imagine it's significantly less than four billion. Um, so I, I have the full, the complete works of William Shakespeare sitting on my nightstand. So I can certainly believe that uh, over the last 400 years, <coughs> lots of people are in a similar situation as, as I am. He's also the third most translated author in history. So uh, not just in the English uh, speaking countries is uh, Shakespeare influential. As I was doing my research, I also saw that um, he, in a particular period in Germany, um, was uh, enjoyed. Uh, his plays were played in various um, theaters across Germany. So, and I'm sure that's true both now and in lots of other countries as well. Um, so, it's not just in English literature. Um, influence that uh, Shakespeare had, but across the literature scene and across plays across the world. Um, Shakespeare's standard poetic form was something you probably learned in English class, right? That's called iambic pentameter. And this means that the verse was usually unrhymed and consisted of ten syllables to a line and sp spoken with a stress on every second syllable. So da dun da dun da dun da dun da dun, and that's what you probably once again learned in English class. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about iambic pentameter, but that's the standard poetic form used both in his plays and in his sonnets. Um, and uh, it is incredible that he wrote, you know, these uh, so over a million words, and they're not all in iambic pentameter, but 
almost all is my understanding. So um, he, uh, let's see, the uh, sonnets were the, uh, the last of Shakespeare's non-dramatic works to be printed in 1609, um, but there was evidence that Shakespeare wrote sonnets throughout his career uh, for a private readership. What exactly that means is probably, your guess is probably as good as mine, um, but uh, apparently he was just uh, wrote uh, and published his um, his sonnets throughout his life, but then a compilation was published in 1609. Of particular relevance to today's audience in light of the pandemic that we've been dealing with for the last, what has it been now, two years or more, um, there was the bubonic plague that uh, Shakespeare and Shakespeare's plays had to contend with. And so while we've been uh, subject to you know, closed theaters, closed movie theaters, um, in the last two years, Shakespeare and Shakespearean plays ha uh, dealt with something similar. The bubonic plague uh, ravaged uh, England um, throughout the early 1600s. So um, and th uh, playhouses were repeatedly closed during outbreaks. Um, so Shakespeare had to deal with that uh, in the similar way that today uh, we had to deal, have had to deal with that. So I thought it was interesting that there is uh, that this happens, you know, over the the course of um, centuries as well. That this is not just a modern day issue. Um, but yeah, the the plague was was horrendous, killed lots of people, and so they'd close playhouses, and Shakespeare then would either have to uh, just go back and write, because then would no longer be, obviously be able to act. So. He retired in 1613, and uh, the uh, the Globe Theater, which I think a lot of us are associate can associate with Shakespeare. That's a, the the theater that most of his plays were written for. Um, he, he was actually in something I learned in doing the research. Um, he was part of a group of um, actors that uh, that. Owned and built the the um, the Globe Theater, and uh, that actually allowed Shakespeare to become quite wealthy. That they uh, that this group that he was associated with um, built the uh, the Globe, and uh, the uh, it's on the south bank of the River Thames, and that was in the year 1599, and so uh, he was able to go and buy a very large house um, and well a lot of playwrights were str struggling with um, being quite poor. Uh, Shakespeare didn't have that same issue because of this association he had with this group that uh, owned the theater. Um, said uh, He acted in some of his own plays uh, even after he was quite successful. Um, and then like I said, uh, he died in April on April twenty third, sixteen sixteen, of an unknown cause. So about a month, I think it was almost exactly a month before he passed away. Uh, he wrote, he signed his will, and and stated that he was in perfect health. Just one, so that was one month before. So uh, there was some. There's one, I believe, record written by someone that that, that knew him that said that he had gone drinking a lot and that he uh, 
had acquired a fever as a result of that. It sounds anecdotal to me. I don't think there's any, no particular reason to believe that there was anything associated with that, but no particular cause known of his death in 1616. Um, he had three children, as I already mentioned, but uh, none of his children ended up, uh, none of his grandchildren had children. So uh, his line ended in the year 1670, so no direct descendants of Shakespeare today. He was buried in the uh, Holy Trinity Church two days after his death, and that's where he remain his remains are now. Another note about the Globe Theater. So this happened actually before Shakespeare died, but after, uh, right after he retired, uh, the Globe Theater burned down during performance of Henry VIII on the 29th of June in 1613. So just right after Shakespeare retired, the Globe Theater burned down. It has been rebuilt. I don't remember the year. I was over in England a long time ago and saw the rebuilt Globe um, so I don't know what, what year that is, but it has been reconstructed, uh, I believe, to, to mirror the original Globe Theater from Shakespeare's day. Um, okay, so that's a little bit about Shakespeare's life. Let's talk a little bit more about his work. And uh, so his early plays were primarily comedies or histories, um, and then later uh, more uh, tragedies, and then what they call problem plays, which are some tragedy, some comedy. Um, but the tragedies um, wrote in early 1600s, uh, those obviously include what most people see as the peak of his career. We've got Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet, Othello, King Lear, Macbeth, um, all of those essentially vying for some of the most influential and best known uh, works of English literature ever. Um, so uh, those are... Um, I, I'm going to talk a little bit later in the podcast about uh, right uh, about a few of the ones I think the layman should um, take the time to read. Um, but obviously, you can imagine that those are going to be some of the ones that are most influential. Uh, are those tragedies? Um, so let's talk about a few of the questions about Shakespeare. Um, a few of the things that are kind of. I wouldn't say directly controversial, but a little bit unclear as to where uh, and how these things happened during his life. So Shakespeare, uh, his religion, um, back in the 1600s in England, uh, by law, you were required to be of the Church of England. There was some question as to whether or not Shakespeare was actually essentially a closet Catholic. Um, a, a Shakespearean scholar, though, A.L. Rouse, um, was emphatic when he said he died as he had lived, a conforming member of the Church of England. His will made that perfectly clear, uh, beyond, put it beyond dispute, for it uses the Protestant formula. So, while there is some question about Shakespeare's parents being Catholic, closet Catholics, and some evidence that would lean that way, the, uh, there, as far as I was able to tell, there's no particular evidence that shows that Shakespeare himself was anything more than um, a conforming member of the Church of England, like um, Mr. Rouse says. So, um, uh, the, one of the big questions in... Um, Shakespearean research is actually into whether or not Shakespeare was actually the author of the sonnets and uh, plays attributed to him. Uh, this is 
sounds conspiracy theory-esque, but this is more than your normal conspiracy theory because this has lots of otherwise very uh, well-known people that uh, have argued for other uh, other authors to actually be the, the true author of these plays and sonnets. Uh, Mark Twain argued for um, Francis Bacon. We'll talk about a few of these names. Um, Helen Keller agreed, Sigmund Freud, uh, Walt Whitman, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor. I mean, people even recently, my dad, who I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, is an English literature uh, professor um, at one point, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, maybe 15, did tell me also that he was, that he saw some pretty good, what well, he, he viewed as good evidence to show that maybe Shakespeare was not the actual author, though I, he didn't mention it much after that, so I think he may have then at some point gone back to the, uh, just the default that William Shakespeare was the author. Uh, the, uh, there are particular reasons why people believe that um, it was a different author, uh, and that's mostly having to do with uh, the lack of education. William Shakespeare we don't have him uh, record of him, you know, going to being university educated, uh, having experience with um, courts, uh, things that you would need to know in order to write the plays that Shakespeare wrote. Um, so uh, some people have put forward uh, Francis Bacon or the playwright Christopher Marlowe. Um, in the last 90 years, uh, Edward de Vere, uh, who's the 17th Earl of Oxford, has been kind of the favored um, name. Um, and Oxford, he, he was um, Oxford trained, highly educated, um, worked as a lawyer, uh, traveled to a lot of the places that Shakespeare's plays happened. So um, de Vere is one of the, the big names. I think that's the one that my dad mentioned to me. Uh, but there are, like I said, multiple candidates that people put forward. The interesting thing is that during Shakespeare's day, there it was attributed to William Shakespeare, and there weren't, there wasn't actually any doubt raised to whether or not it was a different author until 200 years after the first folio, the first compilation of his works, were uh, was published. So all of the uh, contemporary playwrights. Um, seem to have been fine with the idea that it actually was William Shakespeare. And for what that's worth, it convinces me. <laughs> um, there were other women also put forward as potential candidates. Amelia Bassano. Uh, Amelia, the name Amelia come, it, it appears in multiple plays um, written by Shakespeare. And it was an uncommon name, so that people think that that's one potential sign that it could have been her. And some details about Bassano's life uh, also seem to be elements in some of the plays as well. Um, so question that's why some people put her forward as a potential name. Mary Sidney, another name. Um, she had the education, she had the time in court, um, and that she could have been available to, to, to write as well. So, um, but like I said, I, <laughs> after the, the, the fact that the playwrights that lived in Shakespeare's time attribute it to William Shakespeare, um, you know, the, say that to me it wasn't just a front, so the idea that someone else wrote it and then just wrote William Shakespeare as the name and it kind of put him up as a front man because for one reason or another they didn't want to be known as the author of these plays, uh, doesn't really hold water in, in light of people actually knowing the man. Um, 
he was he acted in his own plays playwrights obviously interacted with him and they attributed the works to him so if he had been illiterate if he hadn't been able to talk about his own plays uh, I, you'd imagine that would have raised some questions back in in that day so this post hoc analysis of the of his um plays to attribute them to a different author seems a bit unnecessary to me i understand that the education question is is there but savants are often not uh you know not classically educated or, or not don't adhere to other norms that that we'd like to put on them so um you know that's just the case that that uh, that's what i i think is probably the more uh, once again going back to our our um uh razors podcast or uh the uh most likely explanation uh is just that shakespeare wrote shakespeare so uh but yeah that's uh, the authorship question um Let's talk a little bit about a few of the quotes. I mentioned I see he coined a lot of words, but there are some quotes and and just kind of uh, phrases that we are familiar with that we hear all the time that I believe the layman should be familiar with as far as um, where it came from and, and why it's in the zeitgeist. The um, Obviously, to be or not to be, that is the question, comes from Hamlet. I believe even the layman knows that. Um, Beware, beware the Ides of March from Julius Caesar. Uh, valor, uh, the better part of valor is discretion from Henry the Fourth. Cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war from Julius Caesar. Uh, brevity is the soul of wit from Hamlet. Um, a man can die but once from Henry the Fourth. Frailty, frailty, thy name is woman from Hamlet. Uh, as I said, we could go on and on with these uh, quotes, and, and like some of these would be more or less familiar to you. Et tu, Brute, from Julius Caesar. Um, but these are, there are so many quotes that are so frequently referenced in modern culture uh, and, and in literature um, that it's uh, astounding how influential Shakespeare was in that way. Um, so for the layman, that's relevant. Uh, that you know, the more that you're familiar with these plays, uh, the better context you'll have for when these quotes are, are made. Um, I know my dad, once again, it's kind of a tribute to him. He read us uh, the works of uh, P.G. Woodhouse frequently. It's a, a British author, um, early 20th century author, uh, and he uh, Woodhouse quoted. Shakespeare extensively, lots of quotes. Uh, it, Woodhouse was a com comedic author, lots of funny books, um, Jeeves and Wooster, if you're familiar with that series. Uh, anyway, just lots and lots of um, references, though, to Shakespeare. And so that's just one example of um, uh, if you know, I hadn't been any, at all familiar with the, the Shakespearean quotes, a lot of those things are then lost on you. So um, as far as uh, outside of literature and more in kind of modern culture, a, a layman might be interested to know that there are a lot of movies and, and uh, TV series that are based on Shakespearean plays and or riffs on themes from Shakespeare. Um, and so some of these you might know, some might uh, might not. Uh, as far as movies go, we've got The, the Lion King. Uh, that one, one, actually, I hadn't really process that myself before I was doing the research for this and then I had to sit back and think for a second oh actually that makes a lot of sense uh, if you know the story the plot of, of Hamlet uh, that's um, 
father dies, uncle uh, to blame. Anyway, that's uh, The Lion King is um, one of those movies. Uh, Ten Things I Hate About You, She's the Man, West Side Story. All of those are our takes on Shakespearean plays. Uh, as far as TV series, and maybe even ones that are more relevant for now, uh, you've got Breaking Bad. Now, whether or not that's specifically based on Shakespearean play, uh, uh, Macbeth, or not, it is certainly uh, similar themes. So that's one that uh, you can, whether or not it directly drew from Macbeth is unclear, but um, it, like I said, similar ideas. But one that certainly did take directly from Shakespeare and is, um, the writer said so, and relevant to uh, modern culture is uh, Game of Thrones. So the uh, author George R. R. Martin said um, uh, the, as, uh, Shakespeare has played a part in influencing his own writing. And so uh, you can see in Game of Thrones inspiration from Richard III. Um, so that's an example, once again, of uh, how Shakespeare influences modern culture still. So even if you don't get into literature a lot, you can see that that's the case, that it's still relevant uh, for watching TV. Uh, a few um, more, uh, so I, I wanted to just hit a few plays that I think the layman needs to put on his list of, of things to read, things to do. Um, I'm going to give you dates. I think at the beginning of the podcast I said I'd talk about some of the order. I'm just going to give you the dates of some of these ones that I, that, uh, I believe the layman should take the time to read. Some of these dates, like I said, are a little bit... They're not entirely nailed down, but uh, they kind of give you an idea of, of, of when and how they were written. Um, but for those laymen that are now going to say, okay, well, I, this list is going to be irrelevant. I've tried reading a lot of Shakespeare in the past. Look into the modern language version of Shakespeare. There's some updated, essentially, translations of Shakespeare that don't use the words that we don't use, uh, you know, that the, the, some of the, the 17th century English that is essentially in, uh, unintelligible to a lot of laymen these days. It, it makes it very intractable, very difficult to read Shakespeare. So find that modern translation of these plays. They exist, they're online, and that will help you um, kind of get into Shakespeare a little bit more without losing the, you still get the plot you get a lot of the quotes but you don't have to deal with uh, trying to uh, learn almost uh, a new language in, in some ways or at least a, a version of, of English that uh, is not um, really uh, relevant in, in today's society so a few of the plays that I highly recommend let's start with a few tragedies Romeo and Juliet written in 1595 ish um, the number of riffs and, and just remakes of Romeo and Juliet are numerous. Uh, both plays and, and books rewritten on the subject, uh, it's all over the place. And so that and the references to Romeo and Juliet are, are uh, also ubiquitous. So I uh, think that's one worth your time. Um, let's see. Big surprise, uh, Hamlet is also going to be on this list. Uh, obviously, maybe you've read that in high school. If you took uh, any high school English class, you probably requ required reading, uh, written probably around the turn of the 17th century, so the year 1600. Um, that one is obviously uh, listed by many as the, the best 
work of William Shakespeare. So if you're going to read only one, that would be the one. Uh, also a tragedy. Uh, Macbeth, also among the, the list of, of some of his, uh, Shakespeare's best, best works, written around the year 1606, uh, moving tragedy. And then let's do one more tragedy here. So Antony and Cleopatra, historical tragedy, uh, written probably around 1606 or 1607. Um, that's got some uh, quotes and, and then historical information. I think that uh, would be very relevant for the, the layman. Um, like I said, we're leaving. Oh, and then Julius Caesar. Can't leave Julius Caesar out, written around 1599. And uh, I read that about eight or nine years ago for the first time. And uh, there's just so many phrases and and uh, ideas in there that are so relevant in society today that I think it's well worth your read. Uh, one or two uh, comedies that I think would be great for the layman. Twelfth Night, written in the year 1601. Uh, I've seen that performed in England and in Utah in the United States. So uh, it's a, a crowd pleaser performed all over the place because you, it's just an easy one to enjoy. And then um, a, Midsummer, a Midsummer Night's Dream, once again, also kind of just a magical, fun, crowd pleaser that uh, uh, fun and, and, and a comedy that that uh, even children can can kind of enjoy uh, so those are a few of the plays that I think the, that are worth the layman's time if you've got more time keep digging in because we could that list could go on for another 15 or 20 before we even start getting to ones that uh, um, that only you know an English major would read um, so many of these are really uh, very relevant in today's um, culture so many that I can't list them all right but um, I think that will essentially take us to the end here I do uh, once again thank my dad for the time that he spent uh, educating me on uh, Shakespeare and um, hopefully this has been <laughs> if you didn't uh, come into this podcast uh, with a love of Shakespeare hopefully you have at least some interest in Shakespeare now uh, if not I, either way I appreciate you listening all the way to the end and um I, please find us on Spotify, follow us uh, there, review us on iTunes, uh, do all of those things. And then on Facebook, let us know what you actually want us to hear. We're going to be finishing up our World War II podcast from, from midway, the Battle of Midway to the end. It will be our next podcast after this. Um, so if you haven't listened to the first part of that, go ahead and do that as well. I highly recommend. And uh, until then, go and uh, read some Shakespeare. Shakespeare.